You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning, listeners, and welcome to NSPS Radio Hour. This is Kurt Sumner, your host, and I have with me today, let's see, what are all the titles? Surveyor, geodesist, editor, itinerant. I learned that itinerant is, means traveler, so I don't call you an itinerant traveler. Oh. But <laughs> that's supposed to be self-explanatory. But Gavin Schrock is with me today, and I'm sure everybody who listens to the show knows Gavin uh, from his exploits at XYHT and and lots of other things that Gavin does and shares with us on the radio show on a pretty regular basis. So welcome, Gavin. It's great to have you. Good morning, Kurt. Um, Gavin and I agreed to talk about uh, something he's been working on called surveying on Mars. And as as I was thinking about that this morning, Gavin, I was thinking that maybe the way I should start the show is take a line from uh, one of my favorite movies, My Cousin Vinny, and uh, near the end of the trial in My Cousin Vinny, the sheriff had been sent out by Vinny to see if he could find information about a car that was similar to the ones that the guys who'd been charged with this murder drove. And so when he came back, they kind of looked at each other and didn't know what to say, and Vinny said, what'd you find out? So <laughs> that, that's the way I'll start out with you, I guess. <laughs> well... It, oh, love that movie. And that, that, yeah, me too. That's, that's actually the position I was in about a year ago um, uh, to, to do with this subject. So there had been a lot of popularity on, on Mars. You know, it, the, the subject had been kind of quiet since, oh, since the, uh, yeah, in the 60s, the Mariner uh, uh, voyage went up there and revealed it was pretty damn barren and lifeless and, not much hope of doing anything with Mars. So, um, but in the past year or so, there'd been a lot of popular culture about Mars. Uh, you know, that Martian movie that was mm-hmm. pretty inspirational. Uh, National Geographic uh, did a their Mars series, which really is compelling watching. It's part documentary and part um, fictionalized, uh, you know, speculative what the first uh, missions would be like. And, uh, you know, there are a bunch of surveyors. Every time I'd be at a conference and they'd stand around, I always ask the question about, well, what, what, what subjects do you want us to cover? And I was kind of blindsided where I had a bunch of them corner me one <laughs> one conference and say, why aren't you guys talking about Mars? And I'm thinking, well, we don't survey on Mars. And <laughs> the question was, what if we did? You know, at some point, if there's, if there's exploration and colonization, what role would surveyors have in it? in surveying so uh i was like uh you know the sheriff and, and vinnie's uh, uh lawyer uh oh gosh what what did what did i find out so uh, actually it was a lot of fun um i you know, of course started with the nasa jpl people which are the ones that have uh, here in the u.s that have had any 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 fingerprints on mars and um they put me in touch with a lot of different folks um uh, Dr. Erica Harnett, which she's actually right here at the University of Washington. Um, so I, I interviewed these people and uh, started to get a picture of what uh, what geodetic resources already exist for Mars, what surveying has been done on Mars, albeit all you know remote, and what what would be different about surveying um, on Mars that 
than on Earth, and it, it's not just about lack of <laughs> lack of oxygen up there. Uh, there were so many other very uh, subtle uh, and not so subtle physical differences uh, that Mars has that would fundamentally change what we tools we use for surveying. And yeah, uh, of course, then got into the whole subject about the robotics, but uh, it was really fascinating. We we did a, a very um, long online version of of that research or that you know well I would call it research delving into the subject and uh, uh, did a shorter version in print that's in February you, know, you can find it online surveying on Mars XYHT and that'll pop up but uh, it was a real eye opener and uh, I, I chuckled about it at first and by the end of the exercise I, I really had me thinking you know um, as a profession we we might want to get our our voice in the already uh, ongoing conversations about this. So um, I don't know if any of us will be around when we survey on Mars, but um, well, some of the young surveyors might be involved in it, albeit robotically. But uh, uh, yeah, it was an eye opener. That's for sure. That seems to me to be um, well. First of all, it's intriguing from the perspective and all of us as surveyors are supposed to be inquisitive of course I'm not sure we all are but we're supposed to be um, and so just thinking about this kind of popping into your head and I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little uh, what's the right word I want to use here well impressed is one word but just just awed maybe by the fact that coming up with this idea and going to the trouble to actually do all this research i mean that that's amazing to me uh to even think about undertaking something like that. i don't think i have the attention span for it frankly um but i know you're the kind of person who does so well it was a lot of fun uh actually it was a lot of fun you know getting in touch with one's inner geek you know i'm guilty of that but um yeah it just once the once the first once the first little bit of, of information popped in, it made me think about others. So to give you an idea of, of how completely different the physicality of Mars is uh, and instruments that we use now that we couldn't, I mean, the the first obvious one it was about uh, magnetism. Now, we don't really use compasses much anymore, and we wouldn't use one on Mars. But a lot of our instruments actually use uh, electronic compasses. And, you know, you have to box them in, like uh, uh, instruments with the tilt sensors, like the G GNSS rovers. So, you know, there'd have to be a different thing about that. But because Mars doesn't have a general magnetic field, like the Earth has that big general one, you know, the north and the south, and it works just like that. Well, Mars, it's kind of spotty. Um, it's There's pockets of magnetism. Um a lot more of them in the southern hemisphere than the northern, but there's no way you could use any kind of compass. Well, okay, that aside, the pockets of magnetism actually affect the atmosphere. The magnetism provides a, a, a safe bubble for atmosphere, and that's why the atmosphere there is lumpy. It's thin in some areas and thick in others, and that doesn't 
you know, it doesn't matter because you're wearing a helmet. It doesn't affect your surveying instruments because they're probably set up for that. But uh, signal propagation is different when you have a magnetic and atmospheric bubble when you don't. So right off the bat, the GPS, which would be essential up there, uh, is going to be a bit of a challenge to deal with in signal. So they're going to have to uh, leap a big uh, technological chasm to get GNSS to work up there. Um, actually, there's formal proposals for that. GNSS, you know, Global Navigation System, well, I call it Mars MNSS, but technically, on, on a sidetrack, when they talk about anything to do with Mars, they use the um, the, the Greek god of, of uh, you know, the Roman god is Mars, and the Greek one was Eris. So everything to do with Mars starts with Ares, or Eris, like uh, areoid uh, instead of a geoid, areography instead of geography. Well... I found out a little uh, anecdote from the the Mars scientists. They, they first called the navigation system the uh, Ares Navigation Satellite System, but that sounded like anus, so they they now call it MNSS. So, <laughs> so we would be areographic surveyors. And actually, for the article, I made up a little um, a little badge. Uh, Certified Aerographic Surveyor. I thought about making some of those up and giving them out at conference. <laughs> so we, then we everybody sure. would want one then, right? Well, you know, only only the surveyor can wear the badge. So if if we get involved in the conversation, we'll get, we'll we'll formally say you're not doing survey functions up there unless you got that certification. So there you go. So I guess the the organization there probably won't be a a member organization of NSPS. It'll be more like one of our international groups we collaborate with, right? Or interplanetary in that case. Interplanetary. (laughs) Well, we feel like we're out in a different planet here in the Northwest sometimes because we're so isolated, (laughs) but, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, as you're talking along there, I'm thinking to myself, I'm amazed that so much thought has actually gone into this, uh, among the people who think on those on that level, uh, you know, your your normal, common, everyday person walking around probably doesn't give a lot of thought to all these things related to how we might do things or how we might act were we to be there. Um, so it's just it's sort of mind blowing actually to think that 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 that's a topic that people are talking about, and they have for quite a while. Um, it's like uh, scientists, uh, you know, started to set up meridians on Mars long before anyone could ever go there, just just by telescope and, and figuring out the geodesy. And there is actually a formal um, geodetic working group, uh, the NASA folks, USGS, and uh, some other scientific entities. Actually, um, they have a, a geodetic uh, working group that I think... Uh, uh, serving profession could get involved in. So. Yeah, that's interesting. We have we obviously have connections with both of those entities, so um, it might be worth our while to get involved yeah, in that just to see what's going on. 
just to see what's going on or get some get some uh, the young surveyors uh, you know pique their interest because you remember that poster that uh, NASA put out uh, a couple years ago now it was a series of, of retro looking 1950s space exploration posters promoting you know NASA and, and space sciences and one said uh, Mars needs surveyors. Oh, uh, yes. I remember seeing yeah. that one, yes. A lot yeah. of people reposted that thing, actually. Oh, yeah. We, we, we did a full-page version of it, and I, I see it hanging up in almost every survey office I visit. It's uh, it's kind of neat. You know, it, we, we need to, to pique our imagination sometimes. Uh, well, I think that's true, and, and just from the perspective of kind of going out of our, our our for surveyors odd term go out of our boundaries <laughs> you know and be thinking about other things and i don't know we're we're like 10 seconds away from our break so we'll go do that we'll pick we'll up come back maybe, maybe we'll pick up on that thought uh when we come back after the break mm-hmm. so let's let's go do that we'll be right back Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com. That's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for Quick Stakes today. Coming soon, only on AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. The Insurance Deal. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com. That's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for Quick Stakes today. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. There you go. So when we went to break, we, again, we were starting to talk about the, the Mars mission, the Mars Global Survey, and so maybe we can pick up on that. And I, During the break, we picked up on some other items I want to cover later on. Sure thing. Um, so 
you know, surveyors uh, already have gotten a nod from, from NASA. Uh, they named one of the missions the Mars Global Surveyor. And, uh, well, I wanted to dig in and find out how did they come up with that name. So the uh, uh, chief scientist at NASA's JPL down there in, in California, and they, they pretty much run all the Mars exploration. He said that the, the name Surveyor best matched sort of the mapping objectives of that mission. And he said, you know, other names like Explorer were in use at the time, and a subsequent mission was called Observer. And he said, well, you know, the way they, the way they used the term Surveyor was, uh, I come to find out a lot of people uh, picture a Surveyor a little bit different than we picture ourselves. Uh, they they picture surveyors in the in the historical sense as we we did everything, you know, uh, explorers, mappers, pioneers. You know, we did all kinds of stuff. We're you know not just doing doing boundaries. So that that was, and I thought, well, that's actually really uh, very much honoring the, the the history of the profession there. So uh, yeah, that fit well. Uh, I. I did ask about specifically about what kind of surveying would happen on Mars, and well, uh, oh, there was you know different schools of thought on that. When when it comes to something like boundary, it's like well, at the point where there's something valuable on Mars that somebody would need to mine, and when anytime there's property of value, there's going to be some kind of boundary, but that. Um, Mars, if colonized, would have a lot of things in place that were sort of uh, uh, global or centralized, like a cadaster for the boundaries, and that there would, if, if it needed to get to that kind of precision, that could be a different story. So I don't think we'd be doing much boundary surveying up there. We would be more in the mode of the historical surveyor uh, the mapper, uh, you know, scanning the 3D models, uh, resolving the geodesy to tie everything together. Um, and then I said, well, is that, that going to be people outside? And, well, then I got, they, well, the sad reality, well, not sad reality. The reality is, is that as much as possible will be done either robotically or remotely. And uh, Dr. Harnett, who uh, she studies the physicality of Mars and the and then the practicality of any human activity on it, is one of her side things. Um, she said that the uh, uh, the tyranny of the rocket equation, you know, that the 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 amount of fuel needed to get something to Mars, the payload is a fraction of that. Until that is overcome, and there's actually progress in that area, um, humans are the worst instrument, the worst piece of equipment to put on Mars. They're going to send as few as possible <laughs> until they start colonizing. So um, a lot of the surveying would be done remotely, and it can't really be done remotely from Earth because of the uh, signal delays. What do you got a 20, 22 minute signal transit? That uh, there might be people wearing a dozen hats in the habitats, remotely operating uh, bots for surveying. Uh, 
in uh, I mean that could be that would require you know surveying skill sets as well but that notion about people wearing multiple hats um, well I asked what 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 is going to be the skill set of somebody that does get to go to Mars to work there while the colonies are getting set up and um, well just about everybody there uh, is going to have a background in geology um, is going to have a medical background as well and Surveying will be way down the list, but not as far down the list as I thought, uh, because things are going to have to be done remotely. They're going to have to be keenly aware of the geography, and they have to be keenly aware of how to collect spatial data. Uh, the notion of that little surveyor's patch was not that crazy. That could be about the fourth thing down the list, oddly enough. Um, so... Yeah, they're they're you know we're, we'll have a role. Uh, it might be uh, only a handful of people and everything done remotely. But uh, everyone I talked to, you know, they 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 said surveying would have a role up there. Um, how we gather the data—that's kind of that was another interesting. Um, uh, you know, I I thought drones. You know, I thought, oh, if we're going to do it remotely, I thought drones. Well, but I knew that the atmosphere was much smaller there. I didn't realize it was only a hundredth of what it is on Earth. And it's uh, it's, it's as if you're doing everything at 36,000 feet. So come to find out that NASA is testing a fixed-wing drone that they're going to test up at 36,000 feet. And then I got to talk to this Dr. Mimi Ong, who's the head of um, remote systems for space exploration. And she's got a little drone that they they have a giant chamber in at JPL where they pump the air out. And they fly this little drone, and it actually might uh, go up on the Mars 2020 mission. So they're still waiting to see if it'll, it'll work out. But it's... Um, Nothing like the drones, you know, everybody, we've got our DJIs and we're we're getting into photogrammetry. But, uh, yeah, it was, we're we're actually going to feature a full feature on that sometime and Dr. Ong. And then uh, out of this, I got an open invite to go down there and visit. So that's that's a geek uh, bucket list item to go tour JPLs. (laughs) (laughs) I definitely will do that, yeah. yeah, little tiny drone about the size of a tissue box um, as a three-foot propeller span. That was the limit. Was It has to ship on top of a rover, a new rover that's going to go. And what it does is it does forward mapping for the rover. And I thought, oh, going in advance, why, why did it need to do that? Well, the rovers up there are quite autonomous. There's no joystick because the 20-minute delay from Earth. We basically can say, go over to point B, and it'll take all day to weave around a few hundred, you know, 100 yards of weaving around rocks because it doesn't know what's in front of it. The drone will go ahead. It can only fly two minutes a day. It's got a tiny solar panel on top. It can only do that, but that's enough data to map ahead. The example they gave was 
uh, one of the Mars rovers went around the ring of the Victoria Crater up there. It took 120 days. And with the drone mapping ahead of time, it could do it in 10 days. So the ability to um, detail Mars, and that would be needed. You know, there would be a dire need for that before any colonization. is very detailed mapping. Uh, it's going to be this drone and and, um, and rover combination. And those are all obviously operated from here? Right, but operated sort of in a... Um, they're autonomous. The most we can do from here is to give them a start signal. Okay. And then because of the signal delay. And then uh, overnight, you know, or actually... During the day when the drone is recharging, we'll have time for the rover to go make its, and then analyze some data that comes back. So um, that's that's a big challenge. Everything up there, until we get people up there that are within joystick range, everything is, is semi-autonomous. Um, and um, some of those rovers have outperformed beyond anyone's, the one that just kept going for nine more months than it was designed for. Um, that that was that was pretty amazing. And it was continually sending back information. Yeah, and they thought they lost it. Um, uh, they told me the story of they uh, they thought it was finally dead, and they went home for the night. Um, the it wasn't charging anymore. It turned out it, it must have been uh, dust. Oh, dust is a whole other subject up there. <laughs> the it, the pan, solar panels must get covered with dust. Well, it, it seems that one of the little uh, one of the little uh, dust devils came along and blew the dust off. It started to charge again, and it was alive. They came back the next day, and they went, "Oh my God, it's still going!" So, <laughs> you know, it was a nice surprise. A little rover that could, huh? Yeah. And but then they've had others that got there, and they have no idea why it never opened up and ran. That's the mm. that's the challenge with the remote remote operation and stuff, or you know, sending the autonomous up there is it, it's quite hit or miss. Well, you never know; those that didn't respond might not have been able to get past the licensing laws or something. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, local licensing laws. I'm sorry, you can't do that front of the board no so our little surveying alter egos are up there whirring away and there's well there's right now 14 satellites going around mars that we know of and inevitably there's several that we don't know about um you know because everybody puts up things for other per military purposes um but there's half a dozen running at any given time and uh they'll switch them on and off but um, just having those up there, they've got cameras on them that can shoot down to, um, you know, half a foot pixel, which is amazing. I, I said, oh, well, you should have the entire planet mapped down to the nth degree. And they said, no. Uh, the scientists have to fight for time on those. That's a lot of data. There's the data transmission issues. And they're very hard to aim. You, you can't, like, pick a feature and go, I want to zoom in on this one really close. That's I'm surprised to find out that's very, very difficult. And um, they, even though there's maps 
of Mars, and there's a geodetic reference framework. USGS and some other international entities set up a reference framework. You know, there's lats longs. There's, um, I forget how many USGS quads. You can buy them just like any USGS quad map uh, of Mars, all already drawn up. Wow. Um, just how inaccurate they are is, is that, you know, it's they're schematic at best, like I said, because it's maybe very hard to remotely can, map it. Maybe that's something we can pick up on when we come back from the break. We're five seconds out, so oh, let's okay. do that, and we'll come back after the after the. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Coming soon, only on AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. The Insurance Deal. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com, that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. As we were going to break, Gavin, you were talking about the the data gathering process, and and while we're on break, I ask a couple of questions. Maybe might be worth touching on those. We we talked about the the rovers and how they're operated, and how how the people that do that devote time to it. I I don't know how much time you want to spend on that. I thought that might be worth some interest. And at one point, you talked about the the dust factor, and I just wrote that down as maybe something else to to chat about. Oh yeah. Um, oh well. So the folks that uh, the, the, you know, for being a geek, I I envy the people that they just have the coolest garage in the world and full of tool, tools, and they get to tinker and build robots for Mars. I mean, <laughs> that's they you know they get paid to do that. I just can't believe. It. But anyhow, no, it's a lot of hard work, um, and it's not like they they can build something. Uh, that could work here for a few days, they have to build something that's going to be able to withstand years of travel, impacts and landing, the bizarre and very uh, hostile conditions up there, and work for years on very little energy and work autonomously. So it's kind of fun, but also uh, 
you know, they're pulling their hair out every day, sweating over a few milligrams of weight in something like the little um, Mars drone, the, the tissue box size one. So, um, oh, you mentioned about the dust. Um, yeah, we take for granted visibility here when we're surveying, and dust storms there can uh, cover the whole planet for a month. And it's, it's extremely fine dust. There's the, the air pressure is so low that the dust is not dangerous in the way that uh, the, the one beef that some of the scientists have with the movie The Martian, which they love it, uh, as it's exposing people to a lot of good science, was in the beginning when the, the dust storm was going to blow over the rockets, so they had to take off. And they go, no, there wasn't enough, there's not enough atmospheric pressure for that wind to do that. That wind can move a lot of incredibly fine dust, which is going to gum up any instruments, which is going to block visibility, could be for a month at a time, uh, mess up signal propagation. So another challenge up there that uh, any surveying is going to have to deal with. <clears throat> so when you're talking about dust, how do you compare... Um, Obviously, if we think about dust, we think about dust as we know dust to be here. Is how is there information about how it how that's different? What it's, what it's actually composed of, or is it the same kind of materials we have here, just on a different planet? Yeah, it is. Uh, there's a lot of similarities. The fineness of it is is it's finer than talcum powder. You know, it's um, the regolith of Mars, or the the rocks and dust and soil that cover it is actually <clears throat> has become something that is very tantalizing for exploration because uh and I never believed it till I I saw it was <clears throat> um Dr. Harnett at UW showed me these little vacuum chambers where the research students are building rocket engines that run on dust because it's so fine and you know so the idea that we could get to Mars and not have enough fuel to get back or go further or stuff like that, people are solving this. I, I couldn't believe that a rocket engine could run on dust, but then, you know, she pointed out, you've heard of those explosions in, in uh, grain silos with the real fine dust ignites. Right. It doesn't take much to set that off. So um, the the mapping of Mars is... is um, you know, kicked off because all the mapping is public domain. I mean, I know there's some military mapping probably somewhere, but the um, the mapping of Mars uh, they they're they're crowdsourcing in a way. Some of the Mars exploration are planning for um, exploration and possible colonization. The uh, MOLA data, the Mars Orbiter Laser Altimetry, think of a lidar model of Mars is publicly available. You can go right to a website, download any part you want, and along with a lot of the different imagery. And what people have been doing, even in middle school and high school classes, is the students uh, start a process where they're exploring the imagery and the uh, LIDAR to look for um, what they call these uh, uh, daylights of the under underground caverns in Mars. There's a lot of underground caverns in Mars. Uh, you know, there hasn't been any volcanic activity there for 
as, as long as anyone can imagine, but there's a lot of lava tubes and other types of caverns. And that's where water is. Um, I didn't realize how much water was on Mars, but it's typically subterranean. There's actually one deposit that's the size of uh, a U.S. state. So that's the, the, the hunt for water on Mars and the development of how to use the regolith for construction. Think everything will be done 3D printers. You send up a 3D printer. You need a new total station. It's going to 3D print it from a design. <clears throat> and um, having the water which is how they can generate um, oxygen and uh, and other fuel. Uh, they're crowdsourcing that now. you got high school kids out there. This is what I keep thinking. Oh, my God, you know, what's surveying? Why are you know, we're, we're not doing enough of this uh, interacting with the middle and high school kids. That could be a whole different subject. But, wait, the NASA JPL people are. So <laughs> they've got them interested in Mars. Well, uh, you know, maybe we could fill in with the aerography part of it. So, uh, yeah, like I said at the beginning of this, I wasn't sure. You know, I kept thinking, oh, Mars, that's a nice pipe dream for colonization. Uh, it's not as crazy as it sounds. Uh, there's a lot of great resources up there. Um, who knows what else we could find, but um, I'm sure if somebody found diamonds or something, then there'd be a hell of a rush up there. <laughs> Yeah, that would uh, that would create a a gold rush for sure. That, of course, that assumes you are able to get there, right? Well, that's that's the other challenge. Um, yeah, and uh, on a, a related note to that, uh, people ask me about the radiation thing on Mars, so I asked the JPL folks. The radiation typically is not any worse than what uh, the folks on the International Space Station get. <clears throat> but it's a little different. The, there's the solar radiation, and then there's cosmic radiation, which I kind of chuckled when I first heard that because it sounded a little comical. But no, there's actual cosmic radiation. And it, it's like when the solar radiation cycle is at its lowest, the cosmic radiation is at its highest. And even though, um, you know, the space folks are really good at building suits and equipment that, um, you know, deal with that, the notion that any long-term um, exploration or colonization would need to be in those subterranean, uh, it'd be a lot cheaper than building um, building things on the surface and protected from the dust and the radiation and closer to the water. So I, was, I found out we're going to, we're really going to go back in our history and became, become cave dwellers again. <laughs> Now, is there? You talked about uh, a couple moments ago. You, you you talked about that that subterranean, for lack of a better word, infrastructure of of uh, composition of the planet. Is is there enough known to know if if okay, let's go colonize now, and we realize we're not going to be able to do it on the surface. Is there data being gathered to figure out what those spaces look like, or is that even possible? Well, yeah, no, they, um, uh, there, there's the the astrogeologists, which I didn't realize was an actual uh, discipline and a pretty big one, because there's a lot of, you know, 
a lot of thought about you know mining asteroids and stuff, which would happen probably first. Uh, yeah, no, they've there's there's spots sort of picked out where the conditions, you know, things like uh, stable uh, stability of the atmosphere for signal signal propagation, where there's deposits of water, where there's enough of these daylights of these lava tubes. Um, yeah, people are a bit deeper into this than I ever imagined. Um, the travel part is is the one that, um, well, you've got folks like Elon Musk. He is dead set on colonizing Mars. That's one of his missions. Uh, that and selling us all electric cars. But um, the people told me their favorite two quotes about colonizing Mars. One was from Elon Musk, and he said, there's a fundamental difference if you look into the future between a humanity that is a space-faring civilization that's out there exploring compared to one that is forever confined to Earth until some eventual extinction event. That's kind of a dire, um, you know, look forward in, on his part. And uh, another one is, I don't know if any of our listeners read the XKCD comics. They're sort of a geek comic. But Randall Monroe said, the universe is probably littered with one-planet graves of cultures that made the sensible economic decision that there was no good reason to go into space. (laughs) (laughs) Those sound a little alarmist, but, you know, it's got to be in the back of our mind that, you know, what if another asteroid hits the Earth? Um, Colonization could be you know what saves humanity? Who knows? Um, at least till Earth is habitable again. But it's so th- they convinced me how doable it was to, to <laughs> actually do that out there. Yeah, we're a minute and a half from our last break. But one of the things that that has come to my mind, maybe we can talk about when we come back, is on this colonization side. And and I, I mean, I know it sounds weird. People listening on on the radio that we're talking about this, but. Maybe not as far in the future as, as we uh, we unknowing may think about. So then it makes you think about all those other aspects that have to go into. Okay, if it's colonization, how do you stabilize uh, the environment to make colonization work? I mean, obviously, if you if you're going there, somewhere along the way, you got to figure out how to continue to exist in that spot. Um, yep. So I don't know how far down the road that might be. I know there's a lot of obviously a lot of research going on, but maybe in addition to a couple of more questions we want to get to when we come back, we can talk about that part a little bit because it sounds as though enough work is going on to where uh, that certainly isn't out of the realm of of consideration. It, whether possibility is the right word, I don't know, but at least consideration. So consideration is more of the stage it's at now. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah, but, there's, but still, there's a lot a, of work an, done on that. Yeah, yeah, and that's just really cool to know that to find out that's not going on, and the, and we normal people don't even think about it. So when we come back, we'll pick up on those other things. So let's go to the last break. Quick stakes. Is your answer to staking lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes? Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 
800-438-0387 or go to quickstake.com that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E dot com and order your samples ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today with all the back and forth in today's politics it seems as though the constitution gets lost in the mix if you want to brush up on your constitution then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on americaswebradio.com broadcastnetwork.com quick stakes is your answer to staking lightweight easy to ride on easy to use easy to find and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes have you tried a sample if not get a pen and paper and write down this number 800-438-0387 or go to quickstake.com that's q-u-i-k-s-t-a-k-e dot com and order your samples ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today affordable health insurance was the promise of obamacare but for many the government mandate caused more problems than it solved this is dr elena george from medicine on call and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. So many other things to talk about in so little time. Um, on, the, on the break, you were just mentioning the fact that the temperature would never get above 32 degrees. So that's kind of an interesting thought for those who may be thinking of uh, making the trip and, and adapting to the, to the environment there. Um, and you mentioned talking about this in, in high schools. I, I can imagine that, like you said, certainly gets the attention. Um, and, I, and maybe you want to touch on that a little bit. But but we were gonna we were gonna talk about the the topic of the the surveyor thing, the licensing on Mars too. So I, maybe you can jump into that a little bit. Oh, okay. Well, you know, uh, like we were talking in break about, uh, or before the break about, you know, there are people that are thinking centuries ahead about what it would be like to colonize another place like Mars. And, and like you said, people get used to wearing suits. They won't think anything of it. But they'll spend a lot of time in the in the habitats. But, um, you know, there's the people that think about terraforming Mars or creating a new atmosphere, which is uh, with the amount of water there and being able to use regolith as fuel is not as crazy as it sounds. Um, you know, there'll be a limit to how much you know, fissionable nuclear material that we can send up there to power things. But eventually, it does not sound crazy that Mars could power itself. You know, thermal, um, uh, regolith engines and fuel and and water, well, enough water to keep 
several millennia of colonists up there, you know, even large colonies. So there, there are people that think about it. I didn't go too deep into it in there. I mean, I, I, I wanted to talk to people about that at length, but I thought I had to zero in on what would be, you know, the the subtle little things there that would we would get used to or that surveying would adapt to. Uh, the length of a day, it's about 40 minutes longer of a day, so the practical thing to do isn't to have 40 extra minutes in a day, it's to change the increment of seconds, minutes, and hours to spread out, which a lot of scientific outfits are already doing for their instrumentation. The Mars Day of the Soul is 40 minutes longer. Uh, the tilt uh, the tilt is only a few degrees off of Earth, so some things are similar, but uh, <laughs> The uh, let me see in August summer hottest day of the year in the warmest place on the planet on the equator is only 32 degrees Fahrenheit. As uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson says, Mars wants to kill you in about a thousand ways. So uh, getting used to working in harsh environments. Well, I don't know. Early in my career, I spent a couple years surveying in, in different parts of Alaska. So it's not it's not the That's same. Pretty harsh on its own, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, or, or Phoenix in the in the peak of the summer. That was or uh, underground pavement. Underground mining surveying is pretty uh, difficult. Yeah, we're we're tough people, you know. Well, we should be. But uh, yeah, it does pique the curiosity of of folks. A bunch of state societies have asked me to come and talk about this, and I kind of chuckle about. Gee, I guess they don't take me seriously on anything else. They want me to talk about, <laughs> but. <laughs> But um, we, we up here we visit a lot of high schools and some middle schools and, and promoting surveying. Um, and uh, over the past year, I've been throwing in just a couple of slides about surveying on Mars. You know that NASA poster, right? That lights them up. Oh my gosh, that really lights them up. But I always bring it back to, well, think about it. We had to do the same thing on this planet, and we're still doing it. And you know, then. Then, then a sleepy classroom at least is going to start. And when we start talking about, you know, the geodesy um, and getting into the, you know, the legal weight of things and, and boundary and how, how how critical things are to running of our civilization that have the hand of surveyors in it. I don't know. It's uh, first. At first, I was a little skeptical about throwing those in there, uh, and I thought it was just waking them up. But no, it really. It, it paid off, so um, I don't know. This maybe maybe just for fun, we create a uh, certified aerographic surveyor <laughs> certification, and somebody people earn a little symbolic badge they can put on their vest if they pass uh, who, a test. Who's yeah. going to be on our on our board? Who are the experts? oh uh, yeah? Well, we'll just we'll just find a, a number of geeks in our midst, and we'll come up with some little <laughs> test. And then uh, the thing, you know, there'd be questions about, you know, what's different in what would be different on surveying in Mars, you know, the magnetism and, the, you know, the, uh, you know, it, it just for fun. But, uh, you know, that could keep keep some interest going in our, in our own myths. And, uh, well, what, you know, one of the interesting things about that is it would, it would develop a, a curiosity that then could be, kind of transformed over to our own systems and the way we do things because it's it's coming to the point where 
people just kind of take all that for granted. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and it, it, you know, people might be curious about, oh, how we're going to do it there, then think about how we did it here. Um, I just writing this weekend about that, uh, the surveyors that went down to the equator to um, look at how we resolved the shape of our own Earth, that survey in the 18th century where they measured the degrees of latitude with really primitive equipment in really harsh environments. And uh, that's the same thing that will be happening on Mars. But um, how we did it for our own planet, that that's, I think, tying that back is, is could be a good side benefit. Yeah, absolutely. And then we were kind of jokingly getting into the whole licensing thing. Um, mm-hmm. And... So I don't know what your your thoughts on what that structure might look like. Well, you know, there actually are, um, it's interesting, there actually are uh, a, international agreements in draft about how to deal with um, ownership of of uh, property on different planets and asteroids because there could be mining on asteroids in our lifetime even. Um, so it's not, it's not, it's not totally crazy. Uh, they actually should have surveyors involved in that because of you know our expertise in in uh, bona fide rights. But so, my God, there, there's already work on that already. Well, you know, we could uh, we could set up a certification. Uh, I know it's kind of silly at start, but a certification where somebody would need to uh, have looked into that a little bit. Uh, it's similar to the you know the property ownership. Uh, treaties for Antarctica that's based on that uh, things about the physicality of Mars that would affect surveying and then uh, who knows could be a century from now where that actually becomes something real but in the, in the meantime it piques some people's interest kind of a fun exercise a little bit of PR uh, I'd have fun getting involved in it that's for sure Hey, maybe so. maybe I, there's hope yet. I, I, I think I mentioned this on the show one other time, but I, I recently put my Maryland surveyor's license on retirement status, and and I oh, can well. I can go back and bring it out of that if I want. Just you know, picking up some uh, continuing education credits or whatever. But uh, it was interesting to me when I got my certificate that the expiration date on my retirement status is the year twenty one seventeen. So. If I'm good to go till then, maybe I'll still be all right. That'll give me give me a reason to hang around. There you go. <laughs> cool. You were licensed in one state or a couple of states? Two. I'm prime. Well, my was first licensed in Virginia because I'm I'm a Virginia native and lived there pretty much all my life. But when I moved here uh, in the D.C. area back in 1987, I guess it was. Um, a couple of years later, uh, I got a license in Maryland because there's so much uh, work going back and forth. And I had somebody on the show not long ago. We were talking about the whole D.C. thing, and you have to have a license there now. And my my statement was, I'm I'm glad they require a license now because that means I don't have to go back and survey there anymore because it's it's a different world there than. Oh that. yeah, yeah. Uh, I've heard uh, an interesting that's... world, but. I've subbed some work in there years ago, but I didn't. Uh, I wasn't aware it was now its own license. So that's uh, yeah. It's that's been around for I don't know. I'm thinking ten years or more, probably maybe longer than that. Oh um, well, 
Well, I'm in the other Washington. I'm in the nice Washington over there. That's right. <laughs> I'm sorry yeah. about that. Too. Yeah. But um, certification, uh, actually, that uh, the licensing and certification has um, really come up big in, in, in conversation a lot, uh, especially with the, the realization that uh, a lot of areas, especially up here in the Northwest, where we're desperate for um, qualified techni- uh, survey technicians up here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, yeah, we there was all that hand-wringing about keeping people in the licensing pipeline. Well, good Lord, we, we need the survey tech pipeline, and we need them qualified. And, and uh, I think the certification program, uh, the NSPS certification program, that's a good way to be able to gauge if somebody's, you know, qualified. If right. At least, you know, if they've done that. I need to so, get you talking to my contacts over at the uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics. I've, I've been having some conversations with those guys. They've been really great to, to to talk with me about this. But currently, if you look on their website, it talks about oh, yeah. the the idea that survey technician jobs are on the decline. And I keep saying, well, not really. I mean, yeah, we don't have 12 party members anymore, but I think we've reached the the bottom before that's going to be, but you're, I don't think you're going to see uh, a lessening of where we are now, maybe an increase, but the, the kind of things you're talking about, you know, the, the sparseness of finding them makes it a, a pretty lucrative thing to look at. That's true. And, and uh, well, of course, there's always, the, you know, the boom and bust cycles, but... Oh, sure, yeah. Uh, by surveying technician, um, I use that in a broader sense, too, because uh, here the construction is booming. And anybody that's involved in the measurement side of the construction, um, that's that you know the dire need for the survey technicians in that area. There's been uh, over here some boost in uh, boundary work, so some boundary only firms are are trying to pull some in. But there's there's lateral stuff as well. There's even outfits doing uh, this this. Uh, Renaissance in asset mapping that are looking for for survey. They're actually using the word surveyor when they're hunting for people. Right. So I'm like, wow. So maybe the world is uh, like NASA, viewing surveying in a broader sense than than we may be. That right. We we actually do a lot of stuff or used to. So yeah, and I, and I think that's that's a good thing in in the overall scheme of things that that realization of the broader scheme of surveying and not focused on the one thing. So we're 30 seconds out, believe it or not, for being all, all right. set. So thanks so much for this. It was a great conversation about Mars and surveying in general. I know the audience will enjoy it. If they're not listening live, they will be soon on our po- podcast. So it's been great having you again, as always. And I appreciate appreciate you joining fun. me whenever you can. All right. We'll, uh, all right. We'll just, we'll just keep, the, keep the wheel turning, and we'll find something else to talk about next time. Well, when you take your test... Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com. That's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E dot com and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quick stakes today. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com.
Thank you for listening.